Almighty God, we dedicate to you this collection of tithes and offerings and of pledge cards for the coming year. We pray, Lord, that you would use these resources that we've given back as you've directed us for your good purposes. Lord, that you would smile, that you would be pleased by your children's following of your directions. But Lord, more than compliance, Lord, they would come from a place of, of full hearts, the generosity that you've shown to us, Lord, that we may have an opportunity to have an impact in this world and for the kingdom to come. And so, Lord, we dedicate to you. We give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for all that you are doing in our midst uh, here at Nielsville and far beyond, Lord, uh, Germantown and Maryland. In fact, Lord, we see you at work all around the world. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise and ask that you would now please speak through me as we come to a time uh, focused on your word. And all God's children said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you so much. Now, Ryan is still sleeping. Hopefully no one else will fall asleep during my sermon. Please open your Bible to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4, page 775 in your pew Bible. We've been studying the story of Jonah, and it certainly is not simply a, a children's bedtime story that we, we tell our kids. Uh, I hope that you've been blessed by and maybe uh, shocked or surprised as I've been by our study in the book of Jonah that God has so much to speak to us. This is our final message uh, in Jonah before the beginning of Advent. Today we will finally hear Jonah in his own words share with us his motivation, what was going on in his, in his brain and in his heart that motivated him to turn and run the opposite direction. God had given him direction. He said, follow me in my will. I'm going to send you to Nineveh. And Jonah got up and hightailed it the opposite way. We finally find out today why Jonah did it. Chapter 3 ended with a showstopper. An amazing display of extravagant grace. The people of Nineveh, these people who were evil, were wicked, had, had a reputation for rebelling against God. They hear the message through Jonah and they repent. They turn from their old ways and they turn to God and God blesses them. God gives them a second chance. That's the title of our series, A God of Second Chances. Jonah certainly has seen that evidence in his own life that God had given him a second chance. And now on a grand scale, the whole city of Nineveh is given a second chance. How do you suppose Jonah is going to react to this news that his enemies have been shown such extravagant grace? Let's find out. Jonah chapter 4. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. and He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself and sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And I should not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how did Jonah react to God's extravagant display of grace? Verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah was displeased? The Hebrew there literally means it was evil to Jonah what God had done. Is that not the most insane thing you've ever read in the Bible? That Jonah sees what God has done, this incredible act of mercy and grace, and he calls what God has done evil. That, that, that's, just, that's just nuts. Jonah is angry that God has showed mercy and grace. In Jonah's mind, God's actions are wicked. But now we finally hear Jonah explain in his own words why he ran from God's will in the first place. It was not because the task of leaving his country and going to Nineveh was so scary. It was not because the task of, of uprooting from uh, the safety of the northern kingdom in, in Israel and going to this, uh, this terrible enemy of the Assyrians was going to be uh, expensive. It wasn't because it was going to be hard, although it was all those things. No, the reason Jonah ran away when God called him to deliver a message wasn't because he was afraid of failing the message. It was because Jonah was afraid of succeeding in the mission. He's talking to God here. Look at verse 2. And essentially he's saying, oh Lord, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. You want me to go to Nineveh to warn them so they would repent, which means they wouldn't get what they deserve. That's, that's kind of the, I'm inflecting, I'm kind of emoting what I think is going on in, in Jonah's heart. Now that is crazy. Now Jonah knows the character of God. He's a prophet. He studied God's word. He knows that God is just, yes, perfectly just. But he also knows God is perfectly loving, grace, mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Just as we said at the beginning of our worship service, Psalm 
145. And he knew, he knew that God was up to something. God was up to something having to do with showing grace and mercy to these people who don't deserve it. In Jonah's mind, he finds fault with God as God really is. Have you ever done that? I think we all do that from time to time. I like certain things about God, but when I find out who God really is, there are some things that are disturbing, upsetting, making me angry. And so that's why he ran. That is why he ran. Because he couldn't stomach the idea of his enemy being given such grace. Now, if Jonah expected Nineveh to be destroyed, he would have rushed to deliver that message, right? If he thought, I have a chance of destroying my enemy, of being the hero again, of giving them one last warning and letting them know the clock is ticking, and he would be the first one to put a nail in their coffin, he would gladly stand and run to Nineveh. But no, he knew. He knew what God was up to. At least he has strong uh, suspicion that this 40 days left would bring about repentance and life transformation and not destruction. Think about what was going on in Jonah's mind as you hear the story through that lens. It's not quite a, a bedtime story, is it? How did Jonah make it to Nineveh in the first place? It wasn't by his own will. God appointed that great fish to pick him up out of the sea and throw him on shore. And we saw last week that Jonah somehow edited God's message. Yes, there, there, is, there is a punishment and a consequence in Nineveh, and it's coming, but he didn't mention at all that there was a chance of redemption. Not one word that God might relent if you repent. None of that. No, he decided for himself, that good news is for me, for my people, and not for them. Wrapped up in his own nationalism, self-righteous pride, self-promotion, Jonah is thinking too highly of himself. And the Bible is filled with stories of men who started off so strong but lose their way. In his pride, not only does he question God, he calls what God has done wicked, and then he prays that he might die. Chapter 2, this incredible prayer that he gives to the Lord of praising God for his life, for his soul. And here now, because his plans have fallen apart, Jonah is ready to die. And look at the Lord's response. What does the Lord say? I'm going to interpret for the Lord. Please, Lord, I pray this is okay. The Lord is saying in modern language, really, Jonah? Really? Do you really think that you have a case right now? Do you really think that it is okay for you to be angry with me right now? So much so that you want to die? Listen, friends, I think there is a little Jonah in all of us. I certainly can attest to having a little Jonah in me. For Jonah, his nationalism, love of country and hate of the enemy, his position and prestige as a prophet, that he was somehow special and set apart, those were his idols. 
And we've talked about the concept before, that idolatry is trying to build our identity around something besides God. Whatever you build your identity around, whatever you're holding on to for dear life, for meaning and significance in your life that is not Jesus, just might be an idol. And if you want to know whether something in your life is an idol or not, watch your own reaction when that thing or that person or that position is somehow threatened or taken away from you. Think about that. Think about the most important things in your life, the things that give you your sense of assurance of who you are, of significance, of identity, of, of, of when you look in the mirror, this is who, who I am and what's most important to me. If that was taken from you or somehow threatened, how would you react? And I asked myself that question and I start to say, Lord, you're identifying idols that you promised to remove from my heart for my own good. For Jonah, he was afraid of losing his, ide- his unique identity as a Hebrew. Remember how he introduced himself to the sailors. The first words out of his mouth, I am a Hebrew. Now, if God's grace is shown to these heathens, what position will Jonah have? If they're somehow good enough, as good as I am and my people, do you see? The idol was being identified. What's identified in your heart? What are you afraid of losing? What would traumatize you if it was taken away? Whatever it is, if it ain't Jesus, it very well may be an idol. So we see here, even when Jonah obeyed God, his heart wasn't in it. It wasn't coming from a place of love for God, yet God still used Jonah, which I don't know about you, but it's good news for me because I don't do all the things I'm supposed to do from a pure heart. I don't obey God's directions in my life always from a perfectly sincere, joyful heart. I'm writing this check Yes, I feel great about this. Oh, I'm not so sure, Lord. I I think I might need that back. Isn't it good to know with our mixed emotions and, and, and mixed allegiances, God still uses us and works through us and holds us and says, it's going to be okay. The Holy Spirit continues that work in me and in you and in all of us. God is still accomplishing his purpose in reaching our city. And he's not done with Jonah yet. So let's get back to the story. So Jonah leaves the city. And what does he do? The servant of God. What does he do? He doesn't stay. He doesn't uh, disciple. These people have all turned. This entire city has turned and said, we want to believe in God. He doesn't stay to teach them the ways of God. He doesn't lead them in prayer or say, okay, let's have a worship service Let's have a Bible study. I'll teach you what it means to trust God. No, he doesn't do that. He leaves in a huff, heads east of the city, and builds a little hut in the shade and stews. But God is not done with Jonah. Look at verse 6. The Lord appointed a plant to shade Jonah. And oh, how Jonah loves this plant. Maybe Jonah has a bald spot. Maybe some of us, you know, sun on our heads. No suntan lotion could be... Very, very painful. How happy Jonah is that he is so special that he has this plant 
that has grown up overnight. See, I'm still unique. I'm still special. And God's going to teach him a lesson. Now, I believe that God appointed this plant to help Jonah along, to show him what's truly important in life, and to reveal a bit of God's own heart and compassion. God appoints the plant to grow, and then what does God do? He sends a worm. He sends maybe a stink bug to kill the plant. And so when the sun came up, then God sent a scorching east wind called Sirocco that totally drains Jonah, wipes him out. Jonah is so distraught that his plant's been sabotaged, that it's so hot and windy that what does he want to do? He wants to die again. He's falling apart. That dear plant made Jonah feel special, and it was taken away from him. Do you see how idols can spring up so fast in our hearts? Now, Jonah did nothing, uh, nothing at all to help it grow, but he's invested in this plant because it's special to him, and now that it's taken away, he's angry. His heart is selfish and possessive for that which he had nothing to do with growing. But God's heart for lost people, whom he created in his own image, whose eternal destiny is at stake, is all grace, all compassion, all truth, unimaginable patience. Jonah can't even wait to call out to the Lord, just take my life because of a plant. Imagine how patient the Lord is. And God says, you care about this plant, Jonah? When all these people's lives are at stake, look at verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? So God is not blind to the need for justice. These people are wicked. They need to be corrected. They need to be set right. And also much cattle. Raise your hand if you thought that was a little strange way of ending. Okay, I'm not alone. Cattle. What? up with the cattle? Well, for one thing, Almighty God is the creator of all things, of all of creation. Psalm 36.6 says, man and beast you save, O Lord. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew 10.29 that, that God knows even when a, a little tiny bird, a little sparrow falls from the sky, that God knows that little bird. But there's something more going on here. The mention of the animals is a sneak peek to our sermon series uh, coming up for Advent. Our, our series that starts next week is called Heaven, The Best is Yet to Come. And Pastor Andy and I are going to be answering some of the big questions about the afterlife. I'll answer the que question next week, what happens when we die? Pastor Andy will talk about uh, what will happen to the cattle the following week. That's how, how we usually break things out. He gets the really big questions. You're wondering, okay, now we're talking about cattle and heaven. What's the connection point? Here's the connection point. God cares about all he has created and all that has fallen in this world, all of it, and everything in our environment through Christ is going to be redeemed and renewed and restored. When we go to heaven, we're not going to be playing harps in some ethereal, out-of-body experience. No, heaven and earth are going to be remade. 
We're going to sing. Are we going to sing it next week, Michelle? I'm not sure. Joy to the world, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let what? Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and earth. Heaven and earth what? They both sing. So when Jesus comes back, this isn't just going to all get wiped out. It's going to be remade and renewed. And people are going to be made new. And something's going to happen with those cattle. And I'll tell you what, there were going to be cattle in that new earth and that new heaven. God cares about all of creation. These people, these cattle. He says, you know, if you don't care about people, how about the livestock, Jonah? Do you at least care about them? God's gracious pursuit of Nineveh is also an unforgettable picture of his expansive mission. From cover to cover, the Bible shows the mission of God to transform this present world into the world to come. It's showing us God loves people of every tribe and every nation and every uh, tongue. It's not us against them. It's all of us in need of salvation through Christ. And Jonah's story ends with a question mark, doesn't it? And here's the question for you, sitting in, this, in your pew. How we react to God's call on our life to advance the mission, God's call to build up his mission outpost, the church, God's call to bring good news of great joy, how we react to his call to reflect God's character will, be te- will depend largely on our responsiveness to God's prophet. And who is God's prophet? Jonah was a prophet. But there is a greater prophet who has come. The Bible is not a collection of abstract moral principles, but rather an anthology of the events of God's great redemptive works in history. And so the book of Jonah points forward in history to the time when Israel's Messiah would be revealed in the person and the work of Christ. Perfectly explained, I thought, by Pastor Annie during the baptism of explaining the waters, the waters, the, the waters of creation, the, the waters that spread the earth at, at Jonah's time, the, the waters that led the people uh, through, the waters that they passed in Jordan into the promised land. All these things are pointers pointing to Christ who is coming. So Jonah's story is pointing to the Christmas story. God sent another prophet. Only this prophet went willingly and joyfully because he knew the heart of God. In fact, he was the heart of God. He would be called the Word because he himself was God's message. He was everything God wanted to say to the world, all wrapped up in a little baby person. Instead of running from God's will like Jonah, when he was sent, this prophet willingly went to his enemies and paid a price for them. Them is us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When God showed mercy to Jonah's enemies, 
his reaction was anger. But Jesus was glad to extend God's grace. Jesus also was thrown overboard, spent three days in the depths of utter darkness. That's how great a price he paid. But unlike Jonah, when Jesus rose, he had wholehearted commitment to pursue his enemies with life-giving love and a message that was complete, not edited, not edited, but complete to make his enemies his friends. And then to equip his friends, who he made disciples, to go and get some more. There's more room at my father's table. Go get them. Go bring them in. Jonah sat and watched to see a kingdom fall. Jesus' people are announcing the kingdom has come. Jesus said himself, I am greater than Jonah. So Jonah's story is all about Jesus. And I hope you will never look at the story of Jonah the same way again. We know from our mission partners who serve around the world, especially those that are involved with Bible translation, when they first seek to translate from the Old Testament into a native language, Jonah is the book they turn to for its elegance and beauty and the simplicity of the language, but also that it so clearly points people to Christ. I pray this Christmas, this Advent season, you will hear God's call and that you will respond and you will trust and follow him and that you will cherish and love and treasure our precious Lord and Savior, and follow his lead, the God of second chances. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the good news that comes to us.